So we're picking up uh, in our series, Change Minds, Change Lives. Rob spoke three weeks. We kind of started this series. We, we started with Romans 12, 1 and 2, and talked about how changed lives come from changed minds. We talked about how we are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The week after, we talked from Colossians chapter 3, about how we're to set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We're supposed to have a changed focus that leads us to a changed life. The week after, we talked about how there is peace that comes from God that shows up in our changed life. So today, we're making a bit of a transition in this series. We're going to build on this idea of how God changes us changes our lives. Over the next several weeks, the plan is to look at several Christian practices, spiritual disciplines, maybe another way you've heard it said, the things that we do, the actions that we take that contribute to our growth in Christ-likenesses. Christ-likeness, wow. There are specific evidences of a healthy Christian life, things that contribute to our growth, things that Help us have a healthy Christian life. Now, before we get into what we're going to get into today, it's important to remember this, this important truth that we talked about over the, those couple weeks, that change from the outside in doesn't ultimately work. Right? In Romans 12, it said, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's instead of being pressed in and shaped from the outside in a way that really isn't permanent, doesn't change what's on the inside. We are to be transformed from the inside out. It's the kind of change that requires the Holy Spirit to work in us. Without his work, nothing happens. We don't change. But that said, what do we do? Do we just sit here and do nothing while we wait for the Holy Spirit to move? Don't try to do anything? Is that how it works? No. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 tells us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And the very next verse says, because it's God who works in us. It's two things together. We work hard because it's God working in us. This is not change that happens from the inside out. It's God working in us. And when we do the things he's called us to do, that demonstrates that to the world. Now, it's another thing to think about is that these practices aren't necessarily a guarantee that the Holy Spirit's going to do a specific work in us. He's not necessarily going to work in the way that we plan for him to do so. Um, it's just like going outside isn't a guarantee that you're going to get wet from the rain. But if you don't go outside, you're not going to get wet, are you? I mean, unless you have a leak in your roof. But uh, <laughs> In general, we st you stay inside and you don't get wet. But if, if you want to get wet, you got to go outside. We do these practices hoping, praying, begging that God would use them. He would choose to move in us. 
that he would use them in us and do the impossible in our lives, something that we can't do ourselves, and change us to be more and more like Jesus, to sanctify us, to make us more and more holy, to make us more like he wants us to be. So this first practice we're going to look at um, is going to not really be a surprise for most of you. You know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, that you're going to, it's, it's, you're not going to be surprised. But it's worth looking at anyway because it's foundational. And that is that we need to read, know, and understand God's word in order to be healthy Christians. We cannot be healthy and growing without continued regular engagement in the Bible. Dwelling in God's word, remaining there, living in this book is vital for our Christian life and for our growth. So we're going to look at a few things that the Bible says about itself. We're going to start with 1 Peter 1, 23 through 2, 3. It says, you have been, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. The flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So much in our life is temporary. The word of God is permanent. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He's using this as a segue to talk about how Christians are supposed to act towards one another. But this very next verse is what I want us to think about. So like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, which from the context is obviously the word of God. You may even have, might even have a translation that says long for the pure milk of the word or something like that. Um, that by it you may grow up into salvation. This is how we grow. God working in us through the means of the word. Another thing it says about us, these words that we read are important because they come from God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. These things, this, the, the word teaches us that for teaching. It teaches us what's right. Reproof, it corrects us when we're wrong. For, uh, for correction, it puts us back on the right path. And then training, it helps us move forward. It helps us, it trains us for righteousness, which is right living before God. This has a goal. That the man of God or woman of God, this is maybe competent or maybe complete, equipped for every good work. The purpose is maturity, completeness in Christ. It presents itself, the scripture does, as getting down into the nitty gritty of our lives. 
It's the word of God, and it's not just something that touches us, that talks about our lives superficially. It's something that gets down into the day-to-day choices that we make and confronts us. It says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, that's deep, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We don't just read this book. It reads us. It challenges us. We are changed from the inside out as the things that we love as sinful people are confronted. As the, the choices that we default to are confronted by God's truth. This is even the prayer that Jesus has for his disciples. In John, there's a much longer, several chapters worth of things that Jesus is praying for his disciples and for those who would hear their message. And in John 17, 17, he says this, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them. Sanctify is a word that means to make holy, to make set apart for God. And this has a means, the truth, that your word is truth, he says, uh, to the God and the Father. This, this word that we have in the scriptures is the truth, and it is the means by which God helps us grow. It's essential for our Christian life. It's essential for health as a Christian. Because if we're not moving forward, we are not stagnant. We are moving backwards. That, that first verse in um, First Peter said, like newborn infants long for this pure spiritual milk. If you have ever had children or been around children, see how much they like food. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't really change for adults either. But, um, but if we are not partaking of this milk, we're like a malnourished child. Something is horribly wrong. So what then? What might you say? You know, most of us don't really need to be convinced that God's word's essential to our Christian life. You know, a lot of us have been like, hey, yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great, that's true, that's true, that's true. We're, we don't need to be Captain Obvious here when we, when we preach this morning. But the reality for uh, many of us is that there's a disconnect between how important we would say God's word is to us and what we actually do with it. You know, for some of us, today might be the only time you open your Bible this week. For others who engage the scripture more, we may have this constant feeling like it really should be more, it really should be more. And sometimes there's, there's many reasons for that. But I think one of the reasons that sometimes happens is that we just, we open our Bible and we feel a little bit overwhelmed. There's so much here, and we feel like so much of it just like, God's speaking to us, and I'm missing it. <laughs> Ever felt like that when you're reading the scriptures? <laughs> we think we don't know how sometimes. And what I want, to, want us to do in the rest of our time 
and we'll, we'll try to hurry, is we're going to walk through that passage that Bob read for us. And we're going to talk through how we can understand it better. And when we do, we're going to see some things that the Scripture tells us about life. And Jesus says in this passage, but we're also going to hopefully have some tools to help us no matter what passage we read in God's Word. So in your um, bulletin, you should have, I should have a copy here, I don't know what I did with it, there it is, a little bookmark, and this will help us um, together. You also have the passage on the back side of your outline. So this is, you know, if you're uncomfortable about writing in your Bible, you have no excuse. Okay, it's okay to write in your Bible, you should, because it's really cool to go back and see what you've learned. Uh, but if you're uncomfortable with that, at least write on this page. So we're going to see um, on one side of it, it says seven arrows of Bible reading. The other side starts with observation, interpretation, and application. So we're going to start with that observation. Um, there's three steps. There's three questions that we can ask as we're studying God's Word. These, these two sets of questions are from two different methods of Bible study that I've encountered over the years. These three questions, observation, interpretation, application, they're things, basically, this is what I was taught at Dallas Seminary. Um, Howard Hendricks um, was a professor there for many years, and I wanted to show you. <laughs> if you really want to Go way more in-depth on that. Get this book, Living by the Book. Um, I can help you figure out how to get it if you need help with that. But it's, it's a great little set of questions to ask as we look at the Scriptures. What do I see? What does it mean? And how does it work? Or what do I do with it? So what do I see? So as we start to look at this passage, we're going to observe We're just going to see what's there. What's there? What do we see? What are the words that, what are the ideas that show up in the passage? When you read the Bible, like, it's not some, like, it's, it's the living, breathing word of God. Yes, but it's not, like, mystical. It's not like some weird, like, I got to do the right motions or something, say the right magic words to get what it says. We just read it. And we pick up the things that we read. Uh, so so what, do we, what do we notice when we read the scriptures? What do, we, what do we see? We can see things like, in this passage, time markers. Like, then, okay, that lets us know that this is, has some connection with what previously came before that. So this is the temptation of Jesus that we're talking about in Matthew chapter 4. The end of chap, chapter 3, it's when Jesus is baptized. He's proclaimed by God the Father with the Spirit coming down like a dove saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's time markers like in the next, next verse. After fasting for how long? 40 days and 40 nights. Um, we see the word then show up a lot of times in this passage. We see things like place markers. So Jesus was baptized where? Anybody know? Jordan River, right? And then he's led where? Into the wilderness. Jesus has traveled, led by the Spirit. Um, this is not the same place where he was. 
This is the Judean wilderness, a place where there's hardly any water. There's a whole lot of nothing there. A lot of rocks. There's, there's people in this story. So we, 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 there's characters in the story. Not characters like not real people, but like and when you read a story, even if it's real, there's people that are playing a role in how this story works. So we see Jesus. We see he's led by the Spirit. That says a little bit something about how the Trinity works, that Jesus, the God, God the Son, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he's to be tempted by who? The devil. There's things like um, he, the devil and the tempter. Are those the same people? Probably. Yeah, they are. Um, we, we need to notice things like this. If we see pronouns, which is like he, she, or it, or you, or us, or we, we need to identify what those are. Um, who's the him in this passage? should be pretty obvious that it's talking about Jesus. The tempter came and said to him, Jesus, if you, speaking now, if you are the son of God, how does that sound familiar? Because the other thing we can notice is repeated phrases. If in the previous that we just looked back to in Matthew chapter 3, he's, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Satan's saying, if you are the son of God, wait, there's a connection there. And he says this multiple times, if you are the son of God. Um, some really good questions to ask when we observe are things like who, what, when, where, why, how. Just those questions that help us just get to know what we're looking at. We see a lot of quotations in this passage. Um, he, says if, if he, he, he says to him there, but he's also, um, Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus isn't just saying these words himself. He's quoting the Old Testament. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Um, you might have a, some notes in your Bible if you're looking at that, this might say in really small font where that comes from. Um, these, are, these are all helpful for us to understand the things that are going on, just the things that we notice. Have you ever gone into somewhere and not noticed something really important? <laughs> There's a commercial that's on, the, the, on TV right now that um, is this guy frantically looking for cilantro in the spice aisle and he's talking on the phone with his wife she's like, he's, she's like it's right next to the cinnamon he's like it's not here it's not here it's oh, oh yeah it's it's right where you said it was right next to the cinnamon any guys ever been there <laughs> sometimes we just miss things so it's important to be to be thorough in this process as we read the scripture observe look at what's there we need to take time so what do we see? So we have three, three uh, temptations. We have Jesus being tempted to turn stones into bread. We have Jesus being taken to the high temple and tempted to step down to test this scripture that's from Psalm 91 where it says the angels are going to come. Um, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. We'll come back to how we can use, misuse the scripture. Jesus answers with another scripture from Deuteronomy. So there's another interesting connection 
that you might um, notice. Um, if we're in the wilderness, where was Israel when they were receiving the book of Deuteronomy, the law for the second time? They're in the wilderness. They're about ready to go into the promised land, but they're in the wilderness. So where Israel fails, Jesus, the perfect representation of Israel, succeeds. Kind of an interesting connection there. So he took him to a high mountain. There's a third one. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And, he's, and Satan says to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus is like, get out of here, Satan. <laughs> it's written. He quotes it again from Deuteronomy 6. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So we just need to, we just need to see what's there. Like so much of reading and understanding the scripture is just taking the time to see what's there. And digging, you know, if you, got, if you need to look up words that you don't know, you know, find a, find a Bible that's easy for you to read. You know, this ESV that we use in our, um, in, in our services sometimes can have a little bit higher reading level. So if you need to find something that, like, you don't have to, like, look up in a dictionary every other word, you know, that might be helpful. So, because it's more important that we get what God has to say to us than it is to feel smart about reading a bunch of big words, you know, right? So only after we observe can we answer the question, what does it mean? So we got our, and one of the things that can help us when we ask that question, what does it mean? We have to recognize what kind of thing we're reading. The parts of the Bible aren't the same. Did you know that? They're not, they're different kinds of literature. There's, narr there's narrative. This is a narrative. This is telling a story. There's quotations within this that are different than even that telling of the story. The books of poetry, like Psalms, we read part from the Psalm. That's totally different than telling a story. If you read poetry the same as you read a story or one of the letters of the New Testament, you're going to come up with some really weird conclusions about what it means. I saw a picture one time of somebody who... Um, drew out all the descriptions that are in the Song of Solomon of the woman that is being described. Like she has, like her neck is like a tower and all these like random figurative descriptions that are obviously not, to be, not meant to be literal. That would be just crazy. But if, if we do that, if we take everything figuratively in a story, that's a problem. If we take everything literally in poetry, that's a problem. We need to just recognize what kind of thing we're reading. The letters of the New Testament are even a little bit different. The Gospels um, are kind of a unique kind of genre. They're kind of a unique kind of literature right there. Um, they're kind of along the lines of some of the things that are written in Greek and Roman um, literature where they're telling the story of somebody's life. But sometimes they take a little bit, we, what we would consider liberty with the story, in that they don't necessarily care about telling things in order. Like, we usually like to tell the story, like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. You know, you can see that even as you study this passage, because the way Matthew presents this, he presents bread, pinnacle of the temple, then worship, the, the challenge to worship. Luke, when he's telling this story, flips it. He tells um, the, 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 he, he's, he's tempted to worship Satan, and then he's tempted to, and then he's taken to the city 
and then uh, tempted to test God. And that's because Luke, in his story, he's moving, Luke is presented as a journey towards Jerusalem. And so there's Jerusalem there, and then he's going to end up in Jerusalem as the one who actually is coming to reign. Um, You know, we've seen this a little bit even as we study Revelation, right? Revelation has a whole lot of symbols, and there's a lot of disagreement about what symbol, what's not. We just need to be careful, right? We need to recognize what we're looking at. So there's five keys that we can think about when it comes to what, what does it mean. So there's the content, which is like that's the stuff that you see. There's the context. There's like the things that are around it. We already talked a little bit about that with just even this passage. But there's also where does it fit within the scripture? One of the things that might be really helpful is if you have a Bible with cross-references. That can tell you other passages that talk about the same topics. If you have a study Bible um, that has like book introductions or something that can help you get just a, a little bit of a framework for what you're looking at in that particular book um, and where it fits in God's big story. You know, the things that we see revealed in Genesis, God's revelation progresses as we get towards revelation. Um, That's why we don't follow the Old Testament Levitical law, because God's revelation has shown us that those things are fulfilled in Jesus. We don't have to do them anymore. So where does that fit? Where does the the geographic, we talked a little bit about how that's important. Maps in the back of your Bible or a Bible atlas might be helpful. Where is it in history? Where is it in culture? Where does this thing fit theologically? Um, then comparison. What does other scripture say about the same things? Cross-references again. A concordance, which is a book that has, you look up a word and it says all the other times that, book, that word is used. Um, or if you're like me, bust out your phone Use your Bible app, use the search function. Same thing a fraction of the time. Um, same, another thing, the other C is culture. Another, we have to think outside our own culture a little bit to understand the scripture. Because the Bible wasn't written, written directly to our time and place and our culture. It's written to people who lived very differently than we do. Um, for us, talking about bread... That's talking about, oh, that's that thing that all the people are saying that you shouldn't eat. We shouldn't have gluten, right? Um, for us to say, hey, that as, as I titled it, for us to say something is better than bread is like saying, oh, yeah, maybe it won't kill you as fast. Um, but for the first century, agrarian society, there are portions of the year where you don't have fresh produce. You may not have access to a lot of meat or so bread is your daily staple. If you're saying something is that you don't just live by bread, you're talking about basic necessities. So in that passage, obedience to God and his plan is better than even basic necessities. That's way different than sometimes we might initially read that, right? And sometimes we need to just look for help. That's the other C, consultation. Like sometimes there's things that we just run into issues and we're like, I am at the limit of my ability to understand this. I need help. Look at a commentary. Look at a Bible dictionary. Um, there's lots of good, good tools out there. And the third question, how does it work? How do I, what do I do now what, that I know what it means? 
So on the other side of that, you got seven arrows, and we're going to go through these really quickly. Um, in fact, well, seven arrows. These are good questions to ask. What does this passage say? That's a lot of those first two questions. What is it? What do we see? What do I mean? What does it mean? But another thing that might, is helpful for us to know whether we understand what a passage says is if we can summarize it in just a few words. You know, can we say, hey, this passage is Jesus demonstrating that he is the son of God even when he's challenged by the devil because he resists the devil's temptation? You know, that's basically what the passage says. Um, and then you can adjust that based on the other questions. You know, you want to have a basic idea and then you want to be open to changing that. Um, based on further study. But what does it say? And then what did it mean to its original audience? This is partly the background stuff that we're talking about. It's also partly, like, how would this hit somebody who's originally reading this? Like, Matthew is written to first century Jews. That's one of the reasons there's so many Old Testament quotations in Matthew. You know, there's, they, they would have, the, the takeaway is still basically the same, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. But they would, they would see the connection in the wilderness. Israel failed. Jesus is victorious. What does this tell us about God? So as we're thinking about arrows, I'm sorry. I have, so there's kind of, what does it say around? What does this say to its original audience? Thinking back. What does this say about God? It's important as we read the scriptures to remember the Bible is not primarily about us. We are not the hero of the story. God is. And when we read the scriptures, we need to keep in mind that the primary character through all of scripture is God, and the story is what he is doing in the world to reconcile the world to himself. So what does this tell us about God? So it tells us that his word's worth listening to. It's better than daily basic necessities. He's someone who's not to be tested in the second temptation. He is the only one who is deserving of worship in the third temptation. It tells us that Jesus is the one who's powerful enough to resist Satan. Even just in that, that first temptation to turn stones to bread, there's the expectation that Jesus could actually do it, right? He's powerful enough to say, yeah, you guys need to be bread now. That'd be funny to see people try to do that, right? So what does it say about God? And then what does it say about Humanity. What does it say about man? You know, first we think about what does it say about God, and then we think about what does it say about God? Because we are part of the story. We're not irrelevant. God is working in his world for humanity, for us. And while this passage is primarily about Jesus and who he is, the things that Jesus applies, to script, applies scripture to are things that actually apply to us as well. We need to see that obedience to God is more important. 
than the things that we want, the things that we need. We need to see that we don't just get to do things our own way. Like Satan quotes scripture at Jesus from Psalm 91. Say, oh yeah, you're going to be good. You're going to be fine. If you jump off of this, God's angels will protect you. He's promised that. Does Satan get to tell God what he meant by those verses? No. Do we get to tell God what he meant by those verses? And, the, and Jesus points out for us very much so that the rest of the scripture shows that we don't get to approach God on our own terms. We don't get to test God. It is his world. We recognize, hey, in the, in the beginning, God created. It's his world. We live in it. He loves us. He cares for us. But we don't get to make the rules. And then, that third one. We need to recognize that God's the only one who's worthy of worship. These are things that are all true for us as humanity. Yeah, we're not, we're not Jesus. We're not the incarnate son of God. We're going to fail when we encounter temptations sometimes. Praise God for the truth that we sang. When temptations wins the battle, but Christ is still the sure and steady anchor, right? So what does this passage demand of me is the next question. So not just about humanity, but what does it mean going forward? And it's a lot of those same things that we just talked about. What are the things that we need to do? Hey, our value system needs to be shaped by the scriptures. So that's why it's so important that we read it and we know it. We need to recognize who Jesus is just as the passage proclaims him to be. He's the son of God. He's the one who has the power to resist the devil. He proves it. It's it's kind of ironic. Satan says, if you were the son of God, if you were the son of God, then you'll do these things. And Jesus is saying, no, actually, if I'm the son of God, I'm going to resist you. If Jesus had actually done the things that Satan said, he would have proved that he wasn't the son of God. So what does this passage demand of me? How does this passage change the way I relate to people? Because so often we, as Westerners, Americans, read the Bible individually. We read the Bible as written primarily to individuals. Most of the letters in the New Testament, most of the books of the Bible are not written to individuals. They are written to groups of people. Most of the times that we translate you in the scriptures, it's plural. Here in Chicago, you might say, use guys, <laughs> which I still have yet to be picked up. We spend enough time in Texas that it's y'all, right? Um, there's actually, you can find a Bible online that translates them all as y'all. I can't remember exactly, like the Southerner's Bible or something like that. You probably Google it and find it. Um, but it takes it all and, and does that. It helps us see that we need to view these scriptures not just as individuals, but also how it affects the way that we relate to other people. You know, for this passage, this isn't as direct as a lot of passages are. A lot of passages just have like, hey, this is the way you ought to treat other people. This is the way you ought to interact with people. But this, is, this has a big truth. Jesus is the Son of God. We are to proclaim that. Think about that. If we're interacting with people, what would it look like if we actually took Jesus seriously for who he really is? He's the son of God. 
who has the power to resist Satan, who has the power to obey God fully without ever giving in to temptation. Do we recognize that? Do we live like that's true? Does that affect the way that we tell other people about Jesus? Or like, oh yeah, this is the, this is the one I'm a little bit uncomfortable talking about. Or it's like, no, he's the son of God. You need to know him just as I know him. And then the last question, what does this passage prompt me to pray to God? And this is a question that leads us to connect this practice of studying the scriptures, of knowing the scriptures, with prayer. We need to do these things together, right? Um, We're going to hopefully get to to prayer as one of these other messages in this series. So we see these things. We've got some questions. We know this passage a little bit better. And we know some questions to ask when we read the scriptures. These questions don't just apply to this passage. You can ask these whenever you, whenever you read. So our takeaway for today, because of what the Bible says about what it is, we need to do this just a little bit more. Read, study, understand your Bible a little bit more. That's what that blank is for in your outline. Okay? For some of us, that's taking a first step and trying to read our Bible for the very first time. For some of us, that's taking and making a commitment to read the Scripture on a regular basis. You know, that's what that first thing is. Commit to a schedule, right? There's a lot of different ways that you can... um, Read the Bible. You don't have to do a big read the Bible in the year plan as a start. There's a lot of people who fail sometime in Exodus after, you know, sometime, sometime, sometime in Exodus or Leviticus, sometime in February, right? Start off a New Year's resolution. You ever done that? I've done that. Maybe start with reading one book. Gospel of John is a great place to start. Maybe start by reading one of the, old, the New, New Testament letters that's like a couple pages. You know, something that might take you 10 minutes to read. Start somewhere. For those of us who have studied the scripture for years, we need this reminder that it's, it's still the living, breathing word of God. We need to still... Study the scriptures a little more. It's the word of an infinite God. We will never reach the point where we understand it. But because God is God, it's still worth it. And always seek to understand what you read. Like so often when we start plans like that, we get to the point where like, oh, I got to check off this day. And we, we read it and don't really understand it. So take time to dig. If you got to stop, and spend a couple days in a, few pass, in, a, in a passage just so you get it, do it. And then don't just read it and be, as James says, the man who looks in the mirror and walks away and forget what he looks like. We're called to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We're to actually apply this, put this into practice. And that's because it's, it's essential for life. 
as Jesus said in that first, his answer to that first temptation, man, me, Dan, does not live by bread alone. You, you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is essential for our life. This is how we change. As God takes his truth, as I sang in that song, it's planted deep in us and it bears fruit in our lives as the Holy Spirit works in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken. And we have your word. Help us as we seek to understand it a little bit better. Help us to ask these questions as we, as we read. That we would know you, know your word, know what you've called us to do, and love you and serve you and glorify you, the only one who's worthy of worship. We pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen.